Because for our here and now, for our day by day, it is supremely practical and useful for all of us every day. It is the most important, most profound decision-making influence that we have at our disposal. said a few times uh, this past year as we've been working through First Corinthians that Corinth 2,000 years ago was a lot like Bahrain today. Uh, we said that it was multicultural, it was transient, uh, people coming and going for all kinds of reasons and purposes. Some people were just there to make their money, some people were put there with the military, uh, other people felt very drawn to it as a great opportunity to share truth because it was such a vast and varied uh, place, but uh, lots of Corinth was like a lot of Bahrain. Uh, there was, because of that, because of the big mix of people, there were a lot of philosophies and worldviews all kind of swirling around, uh, trying to influence the people who lived in Corinth. Uh, again, much like being here, lots of opinions about lots of different uh, topics in Corinth, just like here. Uh, including one of the big, really important things. That was nice to get a wave as he left. But um, one of the big important things we talked about last week was resurrection, and very specifically a bodily resurrection. Uh, and so if you'd have canvassed and asked people in Corinth uh, very much <laughs> like you could do here if you really wanted to, there would be lots of different views about uh, resurrection here, uh, also in Corinth. Uh, one of the main views was the Greek philosophy view that bodily resurrection being raised in this thing uh, is not particularly desirable uh, because it's, it's better just to be all super spiritual. So because we think that, what we really believe is when you die, you kind of like a snake shed your skin and graduate and you move on uh, to something much better, this super spiritual nobody kind of thing. Uh, one of the other main views was held by some of the Jews present in Corinth, uh, a group called the Sadducees, and they were a Jewish group that they just flat denied resurrection uh, at all, and they, they felt so strongly about it that they questioned Jesus about it, and uh, he gave them a very polite <laughs> but a very firm response uh, in Mark chapter 12, and he said, you know, a paraphrase, you are very badly mistaken, and how on earth do you not know better? If you claim to know Scripture, how, how, how is this a position that you can hold? Very polite, but very clear. Um, and so it seems, from what Paul writes today to the Corinthians, that they believed that there was some kind of life uh, after death, and it seems like they didn't agree with the Sadducees, but they weren't full-on uh, in agreement with the Greeks. Uh, they, they believed in some kind of resurrection. Probably, maybe, I don't know, who knows what the body looks like in resurrection. So it's really important for us to know, before we get into this, where they stood, because this is what Paul is addressing within them. Uh, resurrection, yeah, probably, hopefully, maybe. In the body, probably not, Paul. And so he's going to take this position. You believe in resurrection, not in the body. And he's going to kind of lean into that and indulge them 
in this uh, attitude, in their uh, conviction. And uh, he's going to show them what very rocky ground they're on with this uh, conviction. And for you and for me, right here now, we're going to see the infinite practical value of a bodily resurrection. Uh, so if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in 1 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 15. And uh, last week we covered verses 1 to 11, established that I was not in one direction uh, as a younger man. <laughs> if you've no idea what we're talking about, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, <laughs> and he laid out for them, look, this is the gospel, this is the good news that was taught, preached to you, and this is what you believe. And he carries straight on today with this big opening statement in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, which is a key component of what we talked about last week, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And again, it's really important for us to remember when he, uh, we read there is no resurrection of the dead, he's specifically talking about in the body. So given what was preached, given what we talked about last week, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And you get the feeling that he's just exasperated with this group of people. He spent a considerable amount of time with them, teaching them scripture, preaching the good news to them. And yet, they're still <laughs> questioning some of the most widely evidenced truths in scripture. And it's just the, it's the, same, as, uh, the same kind of feeling you get with children. If you've got children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've told you this again and again and again, and yet you're still doing it. A few months ago, I told you about when Roman said, could he have a nice little walk outside before he went to school? I said, yeah, sure. You stay away from the swimming pool. Go for your little walk. Get your morning off to a, a start. I think Roman's kind of seven going on 37. He wants to start his morning with a walk around and a bit of fresh air. Uh, you go outside, stay away from the pool. What did he do? He didn't stay away from the pool. It was a big splash and he's all wet before school. It's the same kind of thing. If I've told you not to go near the pool, how are you now dripping wet? Given what we've preached, given what you've believed, how can you say there is no resurrection? And he says, fine. All right. Let's lean into this a little bit. Let's say you're right. Let's consider this. How is this going to play out for you? Have you thought about the consequences of what you're claiming? And again, for you and for me today, day by day, this is still really, really important. The fact of uh, bodily resurrection as a key component to the gospel is of infinite practical value to us. This is not some pie-in-the-sky idea that we like to talk about and sing about. And if we don't have a proper hold on this and what it really means for us, everything else, as we're going to start to see, just unravels. Now, so we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Paul kind of leans into and indulges their position. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in reality he did not raise him. 
if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. So he says, all right then. You've heard, you've believed, you're still. How can you say? How can you say? There's no resurrection, generally and bodily. Right, let's kind of lean into this. Let's really consider the consequences of what you're saying. And he, he, gives, these, uh, he gives us six very clear, cogent points. And uh, if you're a highlighter, if you're an underliner, if you're a note-taking and you're a Bible kind of person, these are six things to make sure you've got down. First one, then, he says, Jesus has not been raised. If there's no resurrection bodily, Jesus has not been raised. I think it's fair to say that our faith is built on the truth that Jesus died and rose. Amen? We just sung about it. Up from the grave, he rose again. No, said the Corinthians. They would not join us in singing that song. They don't believe that. And it's fair to say that the, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is, is, is key to being a Christian. It kind of sets us apart from pretty much every other claim on the truth or worldview or religion or faith, tradition, however you want to phrase it, this is what makes us different. But, Paul says, indulging their position, if Jesus wasn't raised bodily to newness of life, never to die again, not resuscitated back to life, to, to die again on a, a later date, the whole thing is going to unravel. No bodily resurrection equals no physically raised Jesus. And then, logically, he says, our preaching is, is pointless there in verse 14. Now, maybe he's talking about the message that we gave last week, that lovely three-point summary of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Then he was buried in accordance with Scripture. And then he rose again in accordance with Scripture. Maybe he's talking about that. Maybe he's talking about the whole thing, the whole point, the whole activity of teaching Scripture and then preaching the gospel. Maybe, maybe he's talking about the whole thing. Without a risen Jesus, what are we doing? What are we doing on a Friday morning if Jesus is not raised? Not much. Silence, exactly. There's no point in us opening Scripture and helping one another to understand it and see how it points. Oh, this, this prophesies this about Jesus. He, he said this because this means that, and then that takes me to Jesus. There's no point, is there? Trust in the Savior that Scripture reveals, because if he didn't rise uh, up from the grave, he rose again. If he didn't do that, it's all false. All the prophecies and predictions of resurrection are all wrong. So the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of scripture is futile. He says it's empty, it's pointless, it's hollow. Without the reality of the risen Lord Jesus, we read here, this is all pointless. I'm wasting my time in, in preaching and teaching, and you're all wasting your time in listening, in learning, and then loving the Lord more as a result of learning and listening. We're all just wasting time. It's kind of like a TED talk, but not as good. If that's, the, if that's the criteria that we're using, let's be clear. Uh, and this flows seamlessly into his next point because the faith that is being preached and taught, the very thing that we gather 
to be encouraged in every week, to be instructed in, to be strengthened in by being shown the scriptural grounding it has without the bodily resurrection of Jesus is, he says it's, it's empty, it's futile. Because the object of our faith, the thing which ties everything else together, the point on which we land the plane every week, the object of our faith is, uh, the thing we believe in isn't real. If the Corinthians are right on resurrection. But, perhaps even more seriously than the fact that we're all kidding ourselves and wasting our time, having a, a, this pointless belief is actually more serious than wasting time. It's actually heresy. It's blasphemy. It's false prophecy. We're, we're lying about Scripture. Uh, as we see there in number 4, down in verse 15, we are misrepresenting God. We are found to be false witnesses against God because we have testified against God that he raised Jesus from the dead. So we're claiming God raised that body. If he didn't, we're making false claims against God, about God. God did this. Well, actually, he didn't. And again, sadly, we see that again and again and again in our Bibles, in Scripture, and it is always, without fail, really strongly dealt with. The consequences for it, the penalty for it, you can check uh, Deuteronomy 18, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 2. The penalty for misrepresenting, for making false claims about God is death. And so it's fair to say this is a deadly serious, literally a deadly serious claim to make, if it is not right. He could have, I mean, he could have just left it there because that's the stunned silence. But moving, it keeps going, moving from the super deadly serious, Paul uh, now turns this and makes it intensely personal. We read again there that if there is no bodily resurrection, we're at number five on this list, we're in verse 17 if you're highlighting, underlining. If Jesus has not been raised, the sacrifice that his death on the cross was is not proven to be sufficient. We were not sure whether it's been accepted or not. Like the goat we talked about last week in Leviticus 16, the scapegoat onto which the sins of the people are placed. It's like he's come back into the camp and the sins are still there. So if Jesus hasn't been raised bodily, Paul says in verse 17, you are still in your sins. Again, we've just sung about that. Affirming that we believe this. And so he's turning this back to them now. So far... It's been very collective. It's been lots of us. We are in this together. He says, uh, you know, our preaching is futile and, and, and the faith that it talks about is, uh, is empty. Uh, we are found to be false witnesses because we have testified. It's very, very collective. Now he's putting this squarely back on them. If this is what you're claiming, you are still in your sins. If you choose to believe this, that Jesus didn't rise, 
If you choose to disregard the plain and simple teaching of Scripture that said that he would and then says that he did, if you choose to disregard that and claim no, bodily resurrection is not a thing, you are still in your sins, he says. There is no redemption without resurrection. Amen? We're so unsure. And that's, again, that sets us apart from every other claim on truth and life that you will encounter. There is no redemption without resurrection. And then finally, he makes this even more personal. In verse 18, he says, those who've died as believers are dead and gone. And so he started off with the logical things, you know, like, look, uh, no resurrection. That means Jesus hasn't been read. Then he highlights, look, you're, you're just believing in, in nothing. Then he gets really serious about uh, you're making false claims about God. It's, it's heresy. And he turns it around and he makes it so very personal. You are still in your sins. And then he says those loved ones that... Most of us, if not all of us, have had who've died with a faith in Jesus. He says there in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who've died in your life, being professed Christians, those who've fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And again, so the most likely view of those in Corinth was that the, the believing dead, those who've died with a faith in Jesus, have, have shed their bodies and have moved on and graduated to a, their, their, their final uh, spiritual existence. And no, says Paul. If you're saying that the, the resurrection of the body is not a thing, there is no disembodied future for your loved ones who've died. Without the resurrection of the dead, they have all perished. So the comfort that you have with the truth, like David says about his infant son, I will see him again. Paul says, no. If you're saying, if you're claiming that resurrection is not a thing, the loved ones in your life that have died... They've got no future at all. They are dead and they are gone. There is no comfort for you in that one day they will be resurrected. None at all. And so he's laid out for them uh, the very logical conclusions of the claim that they are making, that bodily resurrection is a no-no. And we see that the logical conclusions put the Corinthians in a very illogical and a very difficult position. And if we're ever tempted to, to think the same, it, it puts us in the same place to, to claim Christ as Lord and Savior, but to deny the resurrection of the body are, are two positions that, that just cannot go together. And then he summarizes this. He kind of wraps up this logical part of his argument. And next week, he's going to get really theological uh, with it. He says, look in verse 19, if only in this life, here and now, we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. 
And he's saying this because everything about being a Christian hangs on this truth. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then the scripture that we teach and the gospel that we preach is true. It is what it claims to be. It's what it professes to be. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it's all deceit and delusion. We're believing in something that's just not real. And Paul says we should be pitied more than anybody because we're claiming this great hope, this unshakable hope for the future that just isn't there. Yet we're building our life on something that's not there. We should be pitied more than anyone, he says, if being a Christian is just about giving you hope for today and nothing for the future. And again, it is so key to being a believer, to being a Christian, the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the pattern and the promise that yes, it does await you as well. And without it, without the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the, the life that we have, the future that we have has an expiration date. When we breathe our last, that will be it. But yet we're, we're telling ourselves there's something after. But without the resurrection of Jesus, there, there isn't. Paul says, if that's the case, we should be pitied more than anyone. But Scripture does teach, and the gospel that we preach includes a resurrection, first of Jesus as the first fruits, as the pattern and the promise for us as well. Scripture does teach, and the gospel that we preach includes a resurrection in our future. We do have a future to look forward to beyond our final earthly breath. And so we shouldn't be pitied more than anybody. And the, the influence that us knowing that we have a future resurrection, the influence that this has on how we live today is profound. It is supremely practical. Knowing what is coming affects how we do things day by day. And we do this all the time. This is not just like a, a churchy thing. You know, go to church and you're hearing about, well, because I've got eternal life, I'm going to live differently. We do it all the time, probably without even thinking. We know that we're going to do some driving tomorrow, but there's no petrol in the tank. So what do you do now because of what's coming? You go and fill the tank. You know what's coming tomorrow, so you've got to do something about it today. You know that you're going on holiday, a vacation. You know that is coming up, so you don't spend all of your money today because you're going on holiday next week. You've got an early appointment at work tomorrow morning. You're not going to stay up all night, or you shouldn't stay up all night, binge-watching Netflix because you know what's coming in your future you do something about it today. So the resurrection of Jesus, that is the pattern and the promise for our own bodily resurrection, has a profoundly practical impact 
on our day-by-day life. This is not just some wonderful abstract idea that we like to talk about on a Friday. This helps us day by day. I read this week that the, 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 the hope, the solid Christian hope of a world to come, life beyond death, is the best practical power that a Christian can have. And so the gospel message that includes resurrection to eternal life is, a, is of infinite practical value to us. And I love what Martin Luther said about this. He said, everything depends on our retaining a firm hold on this doctrine in particular. For if this one totters and no longer counts, all the others will lose their value and validity. Everything hangs on this. Big picture, your eternal life, your salvation, and your day-by-day decisions. Big picture, yes, it means we are forgiven and accepted. We are justified in the eyes of God. We are redeemed. and We are rescued from the consequences of our sin. But as Martin Luther said, everything hangs on this. All the the doctrines that we see in Scripture. So everything that we ever come to church on a Friday and hear about, the teaching of Scripture, the proclamation of the Gospel. Hey, look, this is the life that you should live now. This is what All of that finds its source and its root in whether Jesus was, was raised or not, as the Corinthians were saying. And so there is either within us this huge, big picture sense of relief and freedom and liberty to go out and enjoy life with great joy, or there is an uncertainty, there is an anticipation, and there is a real unknown about your future. And even on a just the, the, the smallest micro-level possible. I'm talking day-by-day decisions. Should I go there? Should I do that? Is that all right for me? Should I say yes? Should I say no? All the choices we make every single day about who we want to be, how we act, and how we react, why we do this, but don't do that. Uh, Grasping this doctrine in particular, as Luther calls it, bodily resurrection and its part in the gospel message is of infinite practical value to us, and it is the most practical thing that we can encourage one another with as we gather weekly. And so rather than uh, gathering on Friday and putting a sermon in there to meet your felt needs, our personal problems and our desired solutions, rather than gathering uh, to hear a sermon in the middle there like the Bible's top tips to deal with your crazy kids, which some of us would really like how to deal with our crazy kids, Uh, how to be salt and light in the office with difficult colleagues, co-workers, and bosses. How to slay your giants like David. (laughs) There's no real need for us to gather and and have (laughs) teaching and preaching like that in our life. Uh, Instead, bringing it all back to this, the teaching of Scripture, the preaching of the gospel message that Jesus died He was buried and he rose physically and bodily is the most practical 
exhortation and encouragement that we can possibly receive when we get together each week. Because whatever we're facing in the week, <laughs> you've jumped ahead and given it, given it away. Whatever we're facing in the week, whatever, <laughs> whatever problem is in there, is going to be filled with, or can be filled with, the gospel. And it sounds overly simple. And to a degree, it is. Everything hangs on this and can be and should be brought back to this. So just think about those three examples, the parenting with your crazy kids. Because Jesus rose. Because of what that means for me. Because I want to model this in my house. The undeserved forgiveness, grace, evidenced by a fresh start. This is how I'm going to parent my kids. We don't need, well, uh, practically how to deal with, you know, we don't need the Bible's top tips. We start with the gospel and we go out from there. Think about uh, work, how to uh, be, what do we say, salt and light at the office with difficult co-workers, colleagues and bosses. The gospel is of infinite practical value to you at work. So here is somebody standing in front of me, sitting next to me, for whom Jesus died and rose to redeem. And because bodily resurrection is a scriptural truth, one day, my difficult co-worker or my awkward colleague, they're going to rise as well. At some point, as we read about in Revelation. Because of that, because bodily resurrection is a scriptural truth and an integral part of the gospel, the vast and varied doctrines of the Bible that Luther is talking about, the, the teachings of Scripture, all find their source in the gospel message. If you're dealing with difficult people at work, we don't need to... It sounds really weird. We don't need to scour the Bible for a particular teaching on, on difficult co-workers and colleagues. We begin with the truth. Jesus died and rose. And that's what it means for me and this person. The problems that we face, anything that we could put in there, the Goliath-sized spiritual battles that we all encounter. Uh, Paul, again, writes about the solution in Ephesians 6, and he talks about the full armor of God, everything that God has given you to deal with uh, spiritual problems in your life. One thing that he talks about, and I'm fairly certain that this week on Sunday, our daily devotional is about this, the shield of faith. He says, take up the shield of faith that kind of protects you from and gets rid of the enemy's fiery darts. And he's painting this beautiful picture of like a Roman soldier and all the stuff that they wear and carry and how it's good for you and your spiritual. But the shield of faith, faith in who? In what? In the risen Lord Jesus. And if he didn't rise, as the Corinthians were seems like that's what they were believing and claiming. The shield of faith is just pretend. And those attacks, those fiery darts, your Goliath-sized problems, your difficult kids, your awkward co-workers, all that stuff is going to get the better of you if he didn't rise. But Scripture tells us that he did. And so you see, everything, 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 everything can be and should be brought back to this, which is why the, the plain and simple teaching of Scripture that points us to the gospel message is of infinite practical value to us. It is the answer to any 
and all problems, questions, trials, tribulations that we face every day. Yes, it is that big, bold, beautiful truth of of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of of redemption, of restoration in relationship to God. It, It is all those things. And I think so often people forget, we forget that it is infinitely practical for our day by day as well. And so for here and for now, as something to take away with us as we leave, I would sincerely encourage you to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus for all that it is. Yes, it is that big picture promise of eternal life but it's it's more than that it's no less than that let's let's be really clear but it's so much more than than just a big picture promise because for our here and now for our day by day it is supremely practical and useful for all of us every day is the most important most profound decision-making influence that we have at our disposal. Yes, there are vast and varied doctrines, as Luther called them, loads of Bible teachings about how we conduct ourselves in very uh, different circumstances and situations, but they will all find their root in the truth that Jesus died, was buried, and rose. So the next time you are unsure of what to do, I would pray that you, you start with the foundation of the gospel, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose. The next time you're unsure of what to do, I would pray that you build your decision on that truth. So because Jesus rose, therefore, I am forgiven, I have a future. And I promise you that this will change your life. When you start making decisions with that as the starting point, it will change 